Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. together and study it and as Akani was praying you know he's been praying and we've been thinking about James and the importance of really listening to God's word and so I hope you are ready you've come ready today to hear from God and and ask him through his spirit to work in your life and use his word to change you it's great to have Alan back with us this today after his short break away, uh, it's, it's good to have Hamilton back from his travels as well for work and to see some familiar family faces with us here today as well. But we're excited now to hear from God. So please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of James. As a church, we've been studying this wonderful, practical, helpful book of James. And sometimes in the Christian life, you just want to know what is it that I must do? And that is why James is so helpful, because he gets very practical in helping us understand what we should do. And so we are going to look at verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1 today. But again, to help us get some context, let us read from verse 19. And hopefully that would stir up some memories from what we have been studying thus far over the last few weeks. James chapter 1 verses 19... Up until 27, we will read. James writes this, Now this, my beloved, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being No hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. And here's our text then for today. If anyone thinks he is religious, he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. A simple question as we start our message today is that if I had to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? 
What does it mean to be a Christian? We could go to the streets, we could go to your workplace, we could go into where you are studying with all your student friends, and I'm sure that if we had to ask that question, we would get many different answers. What does it mean to be a Christian? Because for a very long time now, people have been trying to come up with an answer based on their own understanding. Based on the way they grew up. Based on their own feelings, their own experiences. People take what God has said about this and they change it to mean whatever they think or feel. And because people try to define what a Christian is themselves, it can become very confusing. Because you can say one thing, but then if you look at someone's life a little bit closer, it shows something completely different. In fact, if you look at the statistics of South Africa, we know that South Africa is very much regarded as being a religious country. Most people would say they are religious. But what does it mean to be religious? When we hear this term religious, we perhaps think of someone that is spiritual. Someone that is part of some kind of church or denomination. We think of someone who looks and behaves a certain way on the outside, who does all this church-like stuff. In fact, when you look at the Bible, in general, when the term religious is used, it's, it's not... And it's not used very often. It has this negative connotation. The Bible describes it in a negative sense. Because usually it refers to some sort of external ritual that we perform. So negatively, being religious means you're doing all these kinds of religious activities. But what James is going to help us see today is that the Christian faith... It's a faith that works from the inside out and not from the outside in. Where all the other religions that we see in this world are trying to reach up to God based on how much you do for God, Christianity is different. And not a religion that is the same because we recognize that God by His own will, has reached down to us in His perfect Son and has brought us forth by His perfect Word. And now He continues to work in us and through us as we keep looking into His Word and we do what it says. Christianity is not a religion where you go to church so that you can be religious. Christianity is not a religion where you confess doctrinal creeds and, and all these different kinds of prayers and ceremonies in order to be religious. When James is talking about true religion, he's not talking about it in the negative sense. He's talking about a faith that works from the inside out. Genuine faith that works from the inside out. In other words, a faith that displays on the outside what is really going on on the inside. 
And so the term religion here in James 1.26 is this, this comprehensive idea of how our heart relationship with God is expressed in the way we live our lives. Another way to think about it is to say that the more you understand who your Heavenly Father is, the more you will be able to reflect Him and apply His truth in your life. Because up until now, James has been helping us see the importance of hearing the Word of God and then applying the Word of God. That is the real blessed life. And the reality is there can be many religious people who hear the Word of God all the time, but it does not change the way they live their lives. People who can even have a genuine conviction or this feeling that they have a real relationship with God because of their own definition of what it means to be religious and their own idea of what it means to be a Christian. And so James comes along and he's going to help us again today by understanding the difference between a religion that is worthless, a religion that is worthless, and a religion that is worthy of God. Between false Christianity and true Christianity. Between counterfeit religion and true religion. Because he has been talking about trials and temptations and about hearing the Word of God and applying the Word of God. It, it is clear that people in his audience, the people he's writing to, they were thinking one way, but they're not living according to what they have been taught. Last week we saw the importance of not being someone that is robbing themselves or deceiving themselves when it comes to hearing the Word of God and not applying it. And so now James is pretty much going to give us some specifics of what it looks like if you are going to be a doer of the Word. So maybe last week you, you leave here and you think, what does it look like to be a doer of God's Word? James now continues, he's going to give us examples of what it looks like to be a doer of God's Word. He's going to give us three marks of true religion. Three marks of true religion. Three marks of a faith that does the Word of God. Three marks of a heart that reflects the heart of God. And he's going to do that by giving us a contrast between religion that is worthless and the religion that is worthy. And so let us consider the three marks of true Christianity, true religion, by looking at verses 26 and 27. And the first mark of true religion is controlling your tongue. Controlling your tongue. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. True religion that does what God says involves controlling your tongue. Because it's pretty easy for us to have the wrong view of ourselves when it comes to our speech. It's like when I play golf, you know, every time I play golf and I don't get to play often, I can hit some good shots now and again. And because I hit some of these shots in a, in a, sort of in a, in a good way, I think I'm a better golfer than the score actually suggests. 
And James says the same thing happens in the church. The same thing happens in the Christian life because some people think they are religious when in reality their religion is actually useless. So he says, if anyone thinks he is religious, if anyone thinks, other translations say, if anyone seems to be religious, which means you can have this genuine, sincere belief based on your own opinion and perspective that you are indeed a godly person, but you might in fact be totally distorted in what you think. Proverbs tells us that having this distorted view of life is a reality and a problem. Proverbs 16.25 There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. In other words, we can look at our lives and think we have the right perspective when in fact we have it all wrong. Paul was experiencing a similar thing when he wrote to the Corinthians. People were professing to be Christians, but they were living in a way that didn't match up with that profession. People who thought they were religious. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, he says. You see, it's not wrong to think that you are right with God. It is not wrong to think that you are right with God. But James says, you know what? Let's put it to the test. Let's put it to the test. Let us examine your heart and see what is real. And here's the test. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue. The test of knowing if you have true religion is by considering what comes out of your mouth. Because the words you say reflect the condition of your heart. When you speak, every time you speak, you are telling the truth of your heart. And so this is the test. You can say you're a Christian, but if you don't bridle your tongue, then your words might indicate that the Word of God has not been planted in your heart. Bridle is, of course, what is used to control the mouth of a horse. If you've ever sat on the back of a horse for the very first time, you might wonder, how am I ever going to control this beast? How am I going to make it go where I want it to go? And you can direct this animal if you master his mouth. You can direct the animal if you master his mouth. James is going to talk about the same thing more in chapter 3. This is going to become one of the big themes of the rest of James. So he's going to come back to this in chapter 3. And so the idea here is that your mouth is like a wild horse that needs to be controlled. Which means the way you speak to your, your spouse or your children reveals what you believe. The way you speak about other people reveals what's going on in your heart. You see, you might think you are someone that's godly, but then put it to the test. 
What do your words reveal about your godliness? Check your tongue. This is such an important issue for James that he's going to keep talking about this throughout the rest of the letter. For example, he says in James 3 verse 10, that the same tongue we use to bless God is the same tongue we use to what? To curse other people. In chapter 4, he's going to say that we should not boast in evil. Use our tongues to boast in evil. In chapter 5, he says, don't grumble. Because what we say with our words reveals where you stand with God. What comes out of your mouth reveals where you stand with God. Your tongue is off to the races. Like a wild horse that needs to be tamed when you are quick to gossip about other people. Your tongue is galloping when you blaspheme or talk crudely and make these cruel blasphemous jokes. Your tongue is out of control when you twist the truth and choose to lie. Your tongue is a sword like we explained to the children that can cause a lot of damage when you are constantly criticizing other people. There once was a pastor who wore a tie and one of the members of the church didn't like their tie. And so almost every Sunday this lady would come up and criticize the pastor and tell him how much she didn't like his tie. And so he responded to her and said, you know what, get a scissor next Sunday, come and cut my tie to the length that you prefer. She felt his tie was always too long, so she wanted to cut it to the length that she preferred. And so she brought her scissors and he said, she cut his tie after the service and then he said, well now can I take the same scissors and cut your tongue? Can I use those very same scissors to cut your tongue? Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 33, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruits. You brutal vipers, he says. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And now look at how important Jesus says are our words. Verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Which means, church, every word you speak matters to God. If you are someone that is complaining and grumbling about the church or even the things of the church in front of your children... Don't expect your children to have a different attitude toward the church and toward God. 
And so maybe as you think about your tongue, maybe we need the scissors of repentance to cut off the evil of some of the things that come out of our mouths. See, James is not saying that we, we never stumble in what we say. He's not saying that everything that comes out of your mouth is going to be perfect all the time. In fact, later in James 3 verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. He understands. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And we're going to get to that later. And so James gets it. He understands that sometimes we stumble in what we say. But how serious are you about what comes out of your mouth? I couldn't help think about the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, such a striking example. This is a man and he was looking into heaven and he saw the amazing holiness of God. So just picture this for a moment. Here's a man transported into heaven. And he sees the absolute holiness of God. And how does he respond? Isaiah 6 verse 5. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of what? Unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we look into the perfect law of God, and we discover His amazing holiness, and we recognize that we are people of unclean lips, we have to respond in the same way. And that is why the Bible so often helps us and says that we need to be like the psalmist who says in Psalm 39 verse 1, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my ways that I will not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. Are you guarding what comes out of your mouth? One of the ways we actually guard what comes out of our mouths is what Paul said to the church in Ephesus. Paul said to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but what instead? But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So we can keep telling ourselves that we need to stop talking this way or stop talking that way. One of the ways we guard what we say is by actually speaking in a way that God wants us to speak. Instead of using our tongues in a negative way, true religion can be seen and heard. When you strengthen people with your words, when you read the situation and know how to give grace through what you say. How often do you say thank you? How often do you say good job? How often do you say I appreciate you? 
Because if we're making it a constant habit of using our words to cause damage, then not only are you fooling yourself, but James says your religion is worthless. See, the term worthless can also be described as this idle, empty, fruitless, useless, powerless, or futile. I think we get the idea, right? It's the same idea as 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says that our faith is futile if Jesus was not raised from the dead. In the same way, your faith is futile, dead, meaningless, worthless if you say you're a believer but you don't have control about what you say. Because how can you say Jesus is Lord of my life but you don't allow Him to be Lord over your words? And that's why we've got to examine ourselves. Like Paul says, because what does your word say about your faith? What does your word say about your heart? They're filled with pride, Criticism, bitterness, anger, dirty jokes, even racism. Or are they filled with worship, gentleness, love, edification, and so much grace? One of the real tests of our faith is to see what comes out of our mouths especially when life is hard. A mark of true religion is how we control our tongues. But the second mark, according to James, is caring for the vulnerable. Caring for the vulnerable. This is the first half of verse 27. Because now in contrast, he says, religion that is pure. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. It's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. What does it look like to live out the Word of God? James says that when God has taken up residence in your heart through His Word, then what is important to God is going to become important to you. Because the religion that is acceptable to God is pure and undefiled. This is religion that is not contaminated. This is religion that reflects the heart of God and is done before Him. And because it's done before Him, it should be clean and pure. And so he says the second mark of true religion is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. True religion is sacrificial care towards those in need. I think if you've been reading your Bible, especially through the Old Testament, the Bible makes it very clear that God has a soft spot for the vulnerable. Which means if you are someone that is becoming more like God, then you will also have a soft spot for the vulnerable. And the vulnerable in this case, James says, are the orphan and the widow. 
the orphan and the widow. Now we know, if you have your ears and your eyes open, that South Africa has a massive orphan crisis. The world has in fact a massive orphan crisis. Last week Sunday was Global Orphan Sunday. Where churches around the world slow down and, and think about uh, the importance of the church taking up the responsibility of caring for those in need. You see, but this is not a recent development. Back in the day of James, the orphan and the widow were seen as those in society who were the most fragile. The people who were in most need of help. You see, in the days of James, there were no life insurance for a spouse or for, for children if their parents passed away. God cares for people who are vulnerable through the people He has saved. God cares for the vulnerable through people He has saved. Which means, James is saying that a Christian is not just someone... That might help someone else. According to James, a Christian is obligated to look after orphans and widows. Because if you don't, your religion is not acceptable to God. And why should we help them? James says because they're helpless. To visit can be translated to seek someone out. The word visit can be translated to seek someone out. Seek them out and find them so that you can care for them. It's the same word we use to describe the way in which God visits us in order to help us. Luke 1.68, it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. That we should be saved from our enemies. Acts 15. Jerusalem council. Big meeting. James steps up after Paul and Barnabas had just spoken. He says, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles. And take from them a people for His name. Just like God takes the initiative to meet us in our need. And to save us from our sin. We need to do the same. As God visits us to save us and strengthen us. We are to seek out those in our midst who need our care. And you must remember the context. James is writing to people who have problems of their own. And yet at the same time, he tells them, they must not forget to show compassion to others. We can so easily shut our eyes and our hearts when we are so consumed by our own problems. I think as one man says, it's easy to be a Pharisee when the world needs a Samaritan. 
It's easy to be a Pharisee when the world actually needs a Samaritan. Because when you help someone that is helpless, guess what? You don't expect anything in return. That is a mark of pure and undefiled religion. We should look to help those in need and we can do so knowing that God has, has their very eye on them as well. Psalm 146 verse 9 says, The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. God constantly has his eye on those who are most vulnerable. And we should care for orphans. Because apart from Jesus, we are all orphans. Apart from what Christ has done for you, you are also an orphan. The Bible tells us very plain, very clear, before salvation in Christ, you are lost in your sin. You are in fact alienated from God. It's like you're a spiritual orphan. And yet God loves us so much that He sends Jesus. God loves us so much that Jesus ends up on a cross. God loves us so much that Jesus Himself knows what it means to be abandoned. And the context of salvation, and the context of the cross, Jesus knows exactly what it means to be abandoned. And it's all because of your sin. It's all because of our sin. It's all because of what comes out of our mouths. And because of His amazing grace, reckless people like you and me can be adopted into His forever family. Never again to be alone. Every day when you walk by faith and not by sight, you know that God has His very eye on you. And yet God says, I'm going to save you so that you can have the same heart that I have toward the lost. The same heart toward those who are vulnerable. God chooses to care for orphans and widows through the church. Through His people. But what does it look like? I think many of you know that there's a big orphan ministry connected to our church. There are two homes where there are ladies caring for orphan children every single day. And we can tell story after story of how God has miraculously stepped into time and, and, and into moments and provided the care these children needed. Do you know what? These babies are here on Sundays at church. 
You can visit them when you even come to church. They are right here in front of you. And maybe you can help by just holding a baby. Well, one of the other ladies gets a break. So they can actually listen to God's word. Maybe you can volunteer at one of these homes to, to help care for these children and be on standby when there's a crisis. Maybe you can volunteer at one of these homes to, to help with the ladies with chores around the home so they can focus on caring for the children. Maybe you can even bring a gift for these children as Christmas is coming up. We're going to send out more details about this after the service. But if you want to bring a gift, a present to one of these children, you can do that. Children who don't have a mom and a dad. Children who don't have someone that tucks them in at night. Children who are being abandoned in fields. The church has the responsibility because true religion that is pure and undefiled and done before God as an act of worship is caring for the needy. But do you have a heart for the vulnerable? Because now the third mark of true religion, James says, is keeping yourself pure. Keeping yourself pure. It's visiting orphans and widows and their distress, but it's also keeping yourself pure. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows and their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I'm not sure if there's anyone in this room who likes beetroot. I'm definitely not one of them. If you've ever had beetroot on your plate of food, you know that beetroot juice stains everything on that plate. It finds a way to, to, to move in and around all the meats and the salad and everything else that's on your plate and it stains everything purple. And in the same way, if you are mixing with the world... It's going to stain your life. The world that James is talking about could be understood as the world that God created, yes, but it's a system of thought whose values go against God's values. James is not advocating and saying that we should all move to the desert so we can get out of the world. He says that as you are going to live in this beetroot staining kind of world, who wants to tell you what to think and how to live and what you should do and how you should talk and who you should care about, you should be careful. Because it means that someone who has experienced the saving grace of Jesus will have forever a different attitude towards sin. Someone that has been transformed by the grace of Jesus is someone that is now going to have a very different attitude toward sin. And that is why we constantly need to apply passages like 1 Thessalonians 5.21 which says, But test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. 
Test it. If you're not sure, if you're mixing with things of the world that is maybe going to stain your heart, test it. See what is good. And get rid of what is evil. And so if we look at this all together, of what we've been saying the last few weeks, it all kind of goes together. The more we hear the Word of God and study the Word of God, the more we're able to discern what is good and what we must avoid. And the more we then develop a heart that is like our Savior, and the more we will automatically be different from the world around us. I don't know if you've seen salad dressing that's in a bottle. You can shake it and it all blends up. It's all in the same bottle, right? But then eventually if you leave it, what happens? There's a clear separation of layers in that salad dressing. Eventually, your Christian life, based on the Word of God, a doer of God's Word, is going to naturally separate itself from the things of the world that want to sustain it. People who have their noses in the Bible and who do what the Bible says are not going to allow the world to set the standard of what we believe and how we should behave. See, many professing Christians have been stained in the way they think, in the way they speak, and in the way they live their lives because they can't tell the difference between them and the world. See, here's another little test. Are people surprised when they find out that you're a Christian? Are the people around you pretty shocked to find out that you're a Christian? What should be shocking to people is how our words are filled with grace even when it's hard. How we care for the needy even when we have our own problems. And when we don't go with the tide and follow everyone else and what they think or do just because we don't want to be left out. Rather, because of our love for Jesus, developing a heart like Jesus, we can actually be an influence for Jesus because of the way we separate ourselves. Again, James is going to get more into this later in James chapter 4. Because he says this, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We like to sing the song, Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And Jesus is the friend of sinners so that we can be friends of God and not His enemy. And so church, look at your life. In what ways is the world maybe leaving its stain on your life? And perhaps for some of you it's filled with so much dirt that you cannot see what is pure and undefiled and true religion. 
See, the marks of true religion is not to do all the church activities that your calendar is so full and that you know all the five points of Calvinism. You know about the rapture and the end times and you can debate till morning, till evening. The mark of true religion is being able to control your tongue, care for those who are in need, and to pursue a holy life because it all reflects the love and grace of our Savior Jesus. That is why John would say in 1 John 3.18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If you had to ask the people around you, what do you sound like? What would they say? Tough? Critical? Harsh words not honoring to the Lord? What is your attitude toward those in need? Do you feel indifferent toward them? Do you feel someone else is taking care of that problem? It's not your responsibility, perhaps. And where do you need to put some daylight between you and the things of this world in order for you not to be stained by it? Do we go to the Word of God to be able to discern what is good and what is evil holding on to Jesus? I'm thankful that we have a Savior that understands exactly what we are going through. I'm thankful that we have a Savior that looks at my life and was willing to lay His down for it. The gospel is the truth. The gospel is the truth. We need to have hearts that have been truly transformed so that we can have religion that is true, that is pure undefiled and acceptable to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much again for your word. Lord, I think whenever we talk about the tongue, it is so humbling and convicting. When we peer into our hearts, we can easily see how selfish we are and self-consumed we are, that we don't even see the opportunities to care for those who are most vulnerable. And it's easy for us to go along with the rest of the world thinking that we're fine, thinking that they're not having an influence on us. And yet, Lord, we are being stained. Father, we look to Jesus and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. What an amazing truth to think that Jesus Christ knows exactly what it means to suffer at the hands of angry people, people who shout at Him, who curse Him, who use their tongues like spears. We have a Savior who knows what it means to have the Father turn His face away. 
we have a Savior that knows exactly what it means to be rejected by the world. This is our Savior. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you that we can look into your word. Thank you that we can test what is good. Thank you that we can look into your word and test even our own faith. Examine our own faith. Lord, so that we not be cheating ourselves and, and lying to our own hearts, deceiving ourselves once again. And so Lord, even as we think about what it means to be a Christian, We see it involves our words. Our words matter to you. It involves the way we care for and see and look and find and try to help others who are most vulnerable. And we see it means pursuing holiness. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our holiness. In your name we pray. Amen.